Hey, welcome online community to the month of May. We made it. Spring is officially here and uh, we're rolling down the road towards summer. Yeah, and we just uh, finished up a sermon series called Ten Timeless Words on the uh, what we'd normally think of as the Ten Commandments. And then, of course, we had Easter in there as well, but now we're starting a new sermon series. Had our grand opening last week, Kaiser yeah. Campus. That's up and running. Yeah. Stop by and see us sometime on a Sunday at 9 o'clock out there. We'd love to have you. So. Yeah, yeah. This series we're about to start is based in, it's taken from the book of Galatians. It's called the Freedom Gospel. And um, a little bit of background of why. Freedom right now, the concept of freedom is, a, is front page news every day. The invasion of Ukraine, um, the war that's going on over there, uh, among other things going, around the, uh, going on around the globe. The idea of human freedom and human liberties is, is again, it's a front burner uh, issue and it should be because freedom is a precious thing. But what we want to do in the series is maybe take a step back from perhaps national freedom, political freedom, that kind of a thing, and 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 maybe look at the subject from a little bit of a of a broader standpoint. Because we talk about in our country, uh, especially the United States, the Declaration of Independence, the the Bill of Rights, the freedom to assembly, the freedom of speech, the freedom of religion, the the freedom to move about. Coming out of the pandemic, a lot of those things were were just arguments, tumultuous arguments about how far that freedom goes and can it be cur curtailed for the good of others and so on and so forth. So we're going to just uh, yeah. talk about freedom for about yeah. the next nine weeks. I, I think we're, we're uh, of course, we talk about freedom a lot in the U.S., like Bruce just said, and I, I think most of that is about uh, not having external things keep us from being able to speak freely or practice our religion or, or those other things. But I think Paul's going to go a little bit deeper than that. There's externals at play here too, but it's going to go a little bit deeper than that in to you know, what sets our soul free and what puts us in bondage. Uh, and so I really encourage you, like as we go into this sermon series, hang in there with us through the whole thing. Galatians yeah. is a short book, but just, just take part in every piece of it and even grab your Bible and go through Galatians. Yeah. You can go through Galatians so many times by the time this is over. Just read through it a few times. Sometimes it takes soaking in the word to really let it come into us. So let's just pray here. But man, in the next few weeks, just take this in. So Father, we... Um, we come to you and your word uh, to know what is true um, and to know what sets us free, what puts us in bondage, uh, to know the, the gospel, the good news that's proclaimed. So God, I, I pray as, as Paul um, very adeptly articulates exactly what the gospel is to people who are a little bit confused by it or being thrown into confusion by others, God, I pray that you would also speak to the confusion that's been in our hearts in the last couple years. You know, the struggle that we've gone through and the fight that we're having for, for truth and for freedom for ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, would you, uh, as we come underneath your word, would you let it work its way all the way into us and then back out again as we express it in our application. In Jesus' name, amen. Many of you tracked with us in our last series, 10 Timeless mm -hmm. Words. And that, that series or those words, we refer to them as the Ten Commandments, were based on a rescue mission mm -hmm. that God had instigated, taking his people, rescuing them from four centuries of slavery in Egypt. And to do that, he, 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 he rose up, he raised up a, a deliverer, a man on the earth, mm -hmm. to help him with that endeavor. That man's name was Moses, the, the great deliverer, right? Moses led them, wasn't a perfect man, but um, he led them out, right? This particular series uh, is going to talk about a different deliverer, a different kind of Moses, and that would be Jesus himself. 
But the concepts or the, the, the parallels are striking because in the same way that Moses led his people out of Egypt and God formed a new people in the promised land, in the same way, the great deliverer Jesus led us out of the Egypt of sin, if you will, the wilderness, the slavery of sin. And he's forming a people just like he formed those people back then. So it's interesting to think about that coming out of Easter, remember the story of the two disciples on the Emmaus Road after the resurrection? Jesus hadn't really appeared to everybody, but he appeared to these two guys. And as he's walking along, he asked them, what are you guys talking about? And they said, oh, haven't you heard? Are you the only one in town? This Jesus, who we had hoped would be the Messiah, our deliverer, was, uh, was delivered up and crucified. And he claimed he would rise in the third day, but I'm paraphrasing, but we haven't seen him, right? And, and Jesus slows down, and the scripture says that he, he basically um, talked to them and unpacked all the Old Testament scriptures that pointed to him and said, wasn't it written that the Messiah needed to suffer and so forth? And while that happened, they recognized him and then he disappeared. And they said this, didn't our hearts burn while he talked to us on the road, while he opened up the scriptures? In other words, these were men that were well versed in the Old Testament and scripture. Uh, they knew it very well. But something about Jesus helped it just to fall into place. Like, it, it, it wasn't making sense. It wasn't making sense. But then he, he opened up their minds. The same thing happened, actually, when he appeared to the disciples in, in that closed room. The same thing. He, he explained to them through the scriptures how, how he must suffer and die and rise again and how this was all. And it says through, through Moses, the Psalms, and the prophets. In other words, all of the Old Testament speaks to Jesus. In Hebrews, it actually says it like this. Uh, the, the author of Hebrews, we're not exactly sure who the author of Hebrews is. But he's making the point that, that Jesus is the perfect high priest. In other words, he's the fulfillment of everything that you know about the, the priestly law and, and everything that took place in the temples. And he says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he was spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Isn't that interesting? He's the heir of all things. In other words, all the Old Testament, all of that, he's the, he's, he's the rightful heir of that because he was the creator of the world before all those things began. So to really understand scripture, you have to understand Jesus. And of course, we understand Jesus through the gospels, but through the gospels, everything else in scripture starts to make sense. And so the gospel itself is incredibly important. It's the key that unlocks everything else, this good news piece of Jesus Christ. And that's what you'll see Paul fighting for, the gospel. He refuses to compromise on the gospel in Galatians. It all hinges on the person of Jesus. I think it's impossible to truly understand scripture unless you're seeing it through revelation of who Jesus was. Before I was a believer, <clears throat> I read some of the Bible among a bunch of other books. I read poetry, I read philosophy, and I read the Bible. And I thought, what a, what a, what a great book this is. Or that's a, those are some wise words. Mm -hmm. But I was blind to their significance. I was blind to the bigger picture because Jesus wasn't at the center. I was just reading it like a, like a book of poetry or a manual of some kind. or Four easy tips to a better life. Mm -hmm. 
And so the Bible never claims to be that. The Bible claims to be a revelation of God. Yeah, think, think about it. Paul, who writes Galatians, probably knew the scripture better than anyone imaginable. He, he, he was a scholar. That's what he, he was. That's what he did. He thought he understood the Old Testament better than anyone. He thought he understood it so well that it gave him license to kill. But then he has an encounter with Jesus. And that encounter with Jesus, suddenly he doesn't throw away the Old Testament. He doesn't throw away. He said, oh, I was completely wrong about all that. Like, no, actually, it was all right. Something in me didn't see it right. Uh, there was some veil that laid over my eyes. He talks about it in other places. There's this veil that lays over our eyes until it's, it's revealed by Jesus to him. Have you ever had an encounter with someone that knew a tremendous amount of Bible knowledge, mm -hmm. but they weren't very easy people to live with? Judgmental or harsh or legalistic or religious or something like that. That's a sure symptom that you have Bible knowledge, but you're missing the author, mm -hmm. right? So Paul was that person. So Galatians uh, was written to a group of churches in, an, in a country that today is, is, is somewhere in the Turkey area, mm -hmm. northern Turkey. And uh, it was, these were new churches. These were Gentile churches, if you will. Uh, the churches in Jerusalem in the early years were primarily made up of Jewish believers. As the gospel began to spread and, and as nations spread into the Roman Empire, these churches formed and Paul had to write a letter because now these churches are mixed race of Jew and Gentile. And the Gentiles were, again, a variety of races there in that empire. And a problem, uh, problems began to arise around the area of Jewish custom and Jewish law and requiring these believers to, uh, these new believers, even though they were Gentile, having no history in the Hebrew religion, it seemed that some of the leaders were forcing them or pushing Jewish tradition and law upon them. And this is where Paul steps in and writes this letter. Yeah, it's honestly, it's, it's so uh, <clears throat> timely for today. It's, it's different races all living in the same place, not quite able to get along and agree, even agree in the church on what the, what the gospel is. Uh, and, and so there's this, this conflict, and, and Paul starts to speak to that. So here it goes in Galatians 1. He writes to the churches, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but sent by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches there in Galatia, the region. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of God the Father. To rescue us. You hear that word there again? The rescue mission of God. This time it's not a literal Egypt. It's a spiritual Egypt, but he gave us, he gave his son to rescue us, right? But the grace and peace, those two words, we're just going to kind of hone in on those right now in the first part here, that, that grace and peace, Martin Luther said grace and peace really make up the entire Christian life. They make up the plan of God in the Bible. Grace to come into the kingdom, peace to live in the kingdom. Paul's going to circle back to this over and over it's one thing to get into the kingdom. These new believers are in the kingdom in Galatia, but now they have to learn to live in the kingdom. They had grace to get in, but now they have to find the peace to live with each other and to live with God. And a lot like today again, um, 
there's a there's kind of a war for identity going on amongst them, and uh, you know we'll see as as we get a little bit farther into it. But uh, spoiler alert: there's there's this problem between the, the Jews and the Gentiles over you know the laws they they have to and or shouldn't have to to obey, and and there's this fight for the identity. And, and Paul again is uniquely equipped by God to speak to this because he is both uh, a Jew of of renowned. Um, one, you know, born into the right family, raised the right way, circumcised at the right time, you know, uh, educated in the, in the right way, but also a, a Roman citizen, uh, which was huge at that time and place. It, it allowed for freedoms that you just couldn't get any other way. But he refused to let either one of those things define him. But instead, he was completely redefined in his, his meeting with, with Jesus on the road to Damascus. It, it upturned everything else about him, and, and all of those things now become secondary. And that's what he fights for is, hey, you're going to be, you're being called to uh, different marches. You're being called to, you know, join different parades and say, well, uh, you better land on this side of this issue and this side of this issue, which is what's happening in Galatia and what is happening today. Uh, and, and Paul's saying, now, now be careful here. None of those things can be your righteousness. None of those things are enough to be your identity, Christ alone can fill that place. In fact, <clears throat> even within the Jewish culture, there were tribes within mm. the Jewish nation among the Israelites, the 12 tribes, and each tribe had a specific identity. We use the word tribe today in a bigger word called tribalism. Which tribe do you identify with? a certain gender of a tribe, a certain uh, conservative liberal stripe of a tribe, a certain ethnicity of a tribe. Maybe it's as simple as, uh, you know, it's some kind of a like or dislike that, that, that hey, that's your part of my tribe. I, I don't know if you've had the experience, I'm sure many of you have that are watching right now, of going to another place, another city, you're on vacation or you're on a business trip and you happen to drop into another church that's not your own. And you're in that community of believers and it's a building of some sort, but worship begins and the word is taught and someone comes up and greets you and says hello. And have you ever had the experience where there's this really odd, almost instant affinity with a total stranger? Why is that? Because is it, is it based on, on race or skin color or ethnicity or something like that? No, it's based on the fact that, man, you know what brings us together is the cross right there, that cross on the wall. That's the thing we have in common that dominates. It's not that we lose our ethnicity. It's not that we, we, we ignore our traditions or, or law or whatever. Mm -hmm. But it's not what brings us together and shapes our identity. Yeah, just you know, bring it back to those two words that he that he started with, grace and peace. Mm -hmm. um, as as we've been called to join tribes uh, over the last you know decade or so, people saying, "Hey, you need to land here. You need to land there." And have any of those tribes brought grace and peace? You know, as you found yourself kind of sorted into one of these places. Well, I guess I land here on this issue and I guess I land here. But, and they become, people want them to be like, okay, then now that's your identity. That's who you are. Wear this, you know, color, you know, wear this ribbon, fly this flag. Has any of that brought grace and peace? No, none of them have the power to, to offer grace to you. For grace, meaning like the, at the deepest spiritual sense, uh, the unmerited favor 
No, it's actually saying if you don't land here, there's no grace for you. So if you ever deviate from this, then now you're out. And, and peace, has it brought any peace to our souls to be sorted into one of these categories? Or has that actually just caused more strife? Now that I'm here, I hate them. Like I've landed here and now, I, now those people, that tribe over there, and, and it's actually robbed us of our peace. And what Paul is offering is on offer here, even just at the very beginning, the welcome, grace and peace is something I think we, we have to now strive for. We have to, okay, where, Paul, are you going to lead us in Galatians to find this grace and peace? And identity um, is held in place by power. The gospel at its core is a gospel of power. It's, it's good news that my sin no longer dominates. My habits no longer dominate my life. Not that we end our struggle with sin. Here, can we read it again? He says, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. Paul is not saying that coming into the kingdom of God rescues us from the presence of evil mm -hmm. because we look around our world and we're still locking our doors and we still have court systems and we still have law enforcement because we know evil still exists and it's, it will exist until God's plan is, is fully accomplished. But what the gospel does is it rescues us from the power of evil. I think this has been something that people struggle with. They're disappointed mm -hmm. because they think now that I'm a believer, all my problems are over and everybody around me is going to love me, agree with me, be sweet and kind and loving. And we find shockingly sometimes that's just not true. The gospel rescues us from the power of evil to dominate our lives. So um, Paul's inviting them and us, I think. Now, you know, to be clear, Galatians is written to a group of churches at a certain time in a certain place. But, but that's the wonderful thing about the Word of God is that it is timeless and there are going to be lots of applications for us today. So through Galatians, we're being invited to be shaped by the gospel rather than by these, these other things that we're, we're kind of vaguely describing here. Uh, we'll see what, what was trying to shape the Galatians, but, but what's been pushing you? What's been forming you, right? Uh, what are the, the pressures on you that end up denting us in a way? you know, pushing us out of form. If uh, you ever had a fender bender, right? There's something just, it wasn't a major wreck, but there was just this pressure that then, oh, now my, my, you know, my rear quarter panel is concave or it's supposed to be convex. So what are the pressures that have been on us? And, and I would say um, throughout, throughout Christian history, throughout uh, the time of the, the gospel's proclamation and its acceptance by a group of people, you know, we as a community have, have often struggled to walk, the, walk this line of the narrow way of the gospel that isn't licensed to sin, but neither is it a new legalism. Like, oh, we, we got rid of those commands so that we can start following these commands. Or no, there are no commands anymore. Uh, and, and I mean, honestly, we've all worked with young people, right? And one of the common questions when you're working with young people is, uh, well, where's the line? You know, they're trying to figure out, well, can I do this or can I not do that? Or, you know, what can I do and what can I get away with? And, and we often have to tell them, well, you're, you're asking the wrong questions, man. <laughs> you're, you're in the wrong place. But the truth is, I think all of our hearts, it doesn't, that's not a young person question, really. That's all of our hearts yeah. question. So we need to look at well, between license and legalism. Where is the gospel? And this is where you'll see as we go through the series that 
Paul is going to be strong, mm -hmm. probably stronger than almost any other epistle he's written because he's very concerned that these churches have fallen off the beam. They started well in this newfound freedom of the gospel, but something was drawing them back. Something was drawing them back to a, a structure that required a certain compliance with certain laws in order to be saved. And Paul is going to be super confrontational with the churches. You know, in, um, in Jesus' interactions with the religious leaders, he challenged them on their own sense of false security. He, he challenged them mm -hmm. on, on their sense of clinging to their traditions or their laws when the, the promised Messiah was standing right in front of them. One of those encounters, one of many, is found in John chapter 8, where Jesus is having this a confrontation with these Jewish leaders, again, who, like Paul, knew the Old Testament front and back, but they were missing something critical, a living encounter with Jesus. And so he said to the Jews who believed him, if you abide in my words, you are truly my disciples, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, these are the disciples that actually believe this is the Messiah. And they said, well, wait. We're Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves of anyone. <laughs> um, how can you say that we should be set free? And Jesus replied, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Just pause right there and think about what they just said. We have never been slaves to anyone. Mm -hmm. We're Abraham's descendants. What kind of freedom do you think they're talking about? I think they're talking through the framework of some kind of political freedom, some kind of uh, freedom. But Jesus is, is talking about something different. He said, listen, anyone who slave is, is sins is a slave to sin. Anyone who continues to sin is a slave. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family. But a son, a son, oh, a son or a daughter belongs to the family forever. So... If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. There's that word freedom, free indeed. What was he talking about? Yeah, there, there seems to be a sequence I think that's worth paying attention to. Uh, if, again, just in, in the first part of his quote, if you abide in my words, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So there's this first part of abiding in his words. Um, and that, that, you know, as we often say around here, that goes a lot deeper than just being a hearer of the word. Right, you can hear the word over and over and over again, and it have very little impact on you. If you've ever seen, uh, you know, a, a mom and kids interact, the mom might say a hundred times, "I told you to close the cupboard. I told you to close the cupboard. I told you to close the cupboard." Right, that that doesn't. It's not got transformation yet. It, he's not closing the cupboard yet. Or you, it goes the other way. You see a little kid go, "Mom, mom, 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 mom." Pull. You could be right there, even pulling on her skirt and not get a response. So somehow abiding in His Word goes deeper than that. It's more than just hearing the Word, but but I I need to let the Word hear me and see me. I I need to have a, a deeper relationship with His words. Go back to that. He said, "If you abide in My Word, then you truly are My disciples." Yeah. So there's something about this abiding that creates a relationship. There's something about abiding in the written, the logos of God, that creates a living relationship with the author. 
you begin to understand his heart. You begin to understand a world around us. You begin to understand your past through the filter now of the word of God. You begin to understand temptation. You begin to understand everything about your life. Mm -hmm. And Jesus said, what happens is you begin to form a new identity, not as just a, a product of your culture, a Republican or a Democrat, a, 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 a poor or a rich or some other measure. He said, you're my disciple, you're my son or you're my daughter. And that changes everything, right? Because now I no longer answer to the, to the communal mob or, or to the, the latest trend or the tribe that seems to have the loudest voice. I answer to the God of the universe. His opinion is the most important. And then you know the truth, right? So you, you start at the word, the logos, and then it, it, it reforms and reshapes your identity. And now you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. So knowing mm -hmm. the truth is more than just like I can recite the truth. If you gave me a test on the truth, I would get all the right answers. Mm -hmm. Knowing the truth is an intimacy. Like a, the, the, the Greek way of knowing is just that. It's the, the head knowledge. Like I know it. I, I can say, do you, you know, in, in the Greek sense, you could say, uh, do you know uh, President Obama? And I could say, yes, I know President Obama. It just means I know of him. I have no relationship with him, but I, I, I know him. I remember President Obama. I learned a lot about him in the time that he served. But the Hebrew sense of knowing is an intimate knowing. It's a personal knowing and not, not to get too graphic, but that's why you see in scripture, you know, things like Adam knew his wife and that was a euphemism for they were intimate with one another. So there's a new intimacy now that starts to happen with the truth. I don't just, now I no longer just know it as an answer to a test, but now I'm starting to, to live this answer. I have an intimacy with the answer and that now produces freedom in me. And I, now I'm free. Is the law still applicable? A hundred percent it's still applicable. Now, in, in, in Galatians, we'll see Paul fight legalism. But in, in other places, in Romans, you know, he would say to the, the Romans, uh, what shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin that grace may increase? It, it, he's not fighting for license. He's, uh, you know, just a, a willingness to do sin. He's, he's fighting for freedom from sin and freedom mm -hmm. from the consequences of the law through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I think that um, in our heart of hearts, we are attracted to freedom. We want to be free. But again, we live in a fallen world, a fallen world that plays on our sensuality, a fallen world that plays on our desires and our cravings. And that fallen world is not after. They don't have our best interests in mind. We're going to get into that next week. But Jesus said, you're going to know this truth and that truth. You're going to know me. And that's going to allow you. It's going to set you free. He uses the word indeed really set you free. Uh, we could bring up many, many examples, living examples. We heard one on Easter uh, uh, Sunday here just a couple weeks ago mm -hmm. of someone who had been set free from a very real life experience of grief. We're set free from a real life experience mm -hmm. of failure or shame or fear or anger, something, you know, whatever that is that has held us captive. This is the promise of the gospel. But that freedom is both in the moment and ongoing. That, that journey, if you will, if you want to look at it that way, that journey of freedom is both in the moment, but it continues because it becomes a practice that forms us, that shapes us. Yeah. That's what discipleship is. It's a shaping. You don't, mm -hmm. Discipleship is not a one-time event like a wedding is not a marriage. They're different. They're very important, but they're very different. 
Discipleship is this process of shaping. And that process oftentimes happens by practices. Just like a, a toddler has to practice how to, how to walk in order to do it well. Uh, uh, we had a, a friend of ours just telling us today how his 15-year-old son has to practice driving in order to get a license. And it's nerve-wracking because it's so unknown to him. It's so foreign because he simply hasn't driven. Listen, immaturity is not a crime, but it is a challenge, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. It is a, it's, it's a liability sometimes. Listen, there's never been a better time to preach freedom, to preach the gospel. Um, and and, and I, this is no secret. Uh, matter of fact, you'd have to stick your head in the sand to, to avoid the reality that people are hurting right now, that we've gone through a lot in the last few years, and there are parts of the world that have gone through much worse that are right now going through much worse. But I think, I think there's been a particular formation that's happened to us in the last few years. Now, the example I gave earlier about a, you know, a car running into me, that's one thing. That's one kind of annoyance, but at least I've got someone else to be mad at. That's right? one kind of shaping. Yeah, and it's a shaping. But sometimes I run into the pole, right? I hit something. And I think in the last couple of years, we've got a little bit of both. Like, sure, there's been some lockdowns. There's been some restrictions. There's been some ice storms around here and fire storms and, and don't drink the water. It's got algae in it and all the other things that we've struggled with that have been on the outside pushing. But we also locked ourselves in to a couple of years of just devices and just they, the psychologists have a word for it. They call it doom scrolling. In other words, this is bad news and I can't look away. I just continue to read and read the bad news. And, and now what a great time to hear the good news that there's actually freedom outside of that. And it's like the, the devil just played the dirtiest trick on us to say, oh, you like devices? Here, you close yourself up, lock yourself away from community, from healthy healing community, and just, just eat this for the next couple of years. And we've come out sick. We've practiced these, these, these terrible liturgies, these, these antichrist liturgies in a way, these secular liturgies that, that have, deformed us and now we come out and, and our counselors and our therapists and our doctors are booked solid. They can't take any more people that are hurting right now. And, and, and frankly, I, I would say absolutely see a doctor about your blood pressure and talk to a counselor about what's happening to your emotions. But have you talked to the one who created you? Have you, have you talked to the one who created you, the, the Jesus that Paul here offers as, as the key to it all, the key to, to grace and peace? Have you brought your problems to the altar yet? Because don't, don't use any of those other means to avoid the altar. Freedom is best encountered and maintained through community. A band of brothers and sisters who have all come out of Egypt together with you and have a vested interest in staying out, right? It's a communal practice. We use around here a word that maybe is, you think should belongs more in, in um, traditional churches. That word is liturgy. Mm -hmm. Here's a definition of liturgy we'd like to just leave you with as we wrap up here today. Liturgy is a communal response to and the participation in the sacred. Through practices such as worship, thanksgiving, remembering, confession, repentance. I know those words are, are loaded with old school emotions, right? 
But just just think about we're going to get that quote on the screen so you can just take it and think about it. But think about what we're saying here is that, like Jason said, something is going to shape my life. If I live on a diet of horror movies, that image, those images are going to shape my mind. If I live on a diet of fear, if I live on a if I if I practice um, some kind of immorality on a regular basis. If I, if I practice medication, that is going to shape my life. Mm. And what God offers us is this, these practices that will shape our souls, that will care for and free our souls and their communal practices, as well as individual, but the idea of coming together for worship, the idea of opening the Word of God, the idea of thanksgiving and remembering the idea of confessing my sin, asking for forgiveness, extending forgiveness, the idea of turning away, those things will shape you and me for all of eternity. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I want to I, I offer you or, or challenge you, maybe if you came from a more traditional church that, that practiced more liturgies, more catechisms, and, and that word kind of turns you off, I, I would say, why don't you go back to God and, and, and refresh? Because we're, we're not saying, oh, we've got a new catechism, we're all going to start repeating. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's something about that. Like maybe, maybe when you were younger, it just didn't land. You know, you were told to memorize this and memorize this, but it, it, it was like memorizing for a test and it never worked its way into your heart. Mm-hmm. But the Word of God is powerful. And, and I challenge you to, to treat Galatians like that in the next coming weeks, to take some of these verses out and just purposefully plant them in your heart and, and just speak them to your, as a, and as a family. If you're in a family, speak to them to one another as a family, as, as a liturgy in a sense, to speak truth that would now form us. How many times do we say things over and over again in our family? You have little sayings in your family. You have little rituals in your family. We, we always you know, have tacos on Tuesday. We always sit down and watch America's Funniest Home Videos on Sunday. We always, you know, these things. What if you practice some, some liturgy in your family around the Word of God, the thing that you, we really want to shape and form us? What kind of transformational work would that do to us? And that's what God's after is transformation, right? He wants to set us free in the truest sense of the word. Mm-hmm. We're going to share communion um, together if, if you're so inclined wherever you are, wherever you're watching this. Um, we pause at the end of every time we gather, whether it's live or online, and uh, we give opportunity to take um, what we would call the Lord's Supper. The reason we do that is because Jesus led the way as he was headed out to the cross that night he shared this bread and this cup with his best friends. And he said, listen, do this often. And as often as you do it, he said, I want you to remember me. I want this to shape your memory because your emotions are about to be shaken the night that he gave this because he would be betrayed and beaten and mocked and crucified. But he said, I want you to remember because when everything is falling apart around you, I want this to shape your life, your soul, your emotions, your memories. Hmm. If, you're, if you're new to us and you're wondering, you know, can I have communion? If you believe, then, then communion, it, it's an open table. Hmm. If, if you believe that, that Jesus' sacrifice, his death and his resurrection is enough to save you, then, then I invite you. You're part of our, our family then. And we're all, we're all related through Jesus, through his blood sacrifice. 
Let me just bow your heads with me for a second if you've got the elements ready. Father, um, we don't take lightly the cost of our freedom. And we don't want to trample on it either by either by license and choosing to continue to, to live in sin and just expect grace from you or by trying to find our righteousness through, through some self-righteousness. Uh, these practices make me righteous. This, this obedience to this makes me righteous. But, but Father, we want to be found in you. We thank you that, that even though this cost you greatly, you sacrificed and you gave. Because as John 3.16 says, you so loved the world. So Father, we thank you for that love. We thank you for the invitation to the table. We thank you for our freedom. In Jesus' name. Amen.